We're going to begin in John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 20. And um, we do have a, a little bit of a back, background here in the previous 19 verses that we ought to know something about before we really begin reading this, because it all plays into the context here. So very, two very common stories precede this in John chapter 6, the first one being that Jesus is speaking to a multitude of at least 5,000, and he... Um, feeds the multitude miraculously, and they collect afterward 12 baskets of food. Then the disciples depart across the sea, and Jesus uh, walks on the water. And we learn about more of that in in the other Gospels. It doesn't give us a lot of that detail here. Uh, But those are the two events that precede what we're going to read this morning, is Jesus both miraculously feeding the 5,000 and then him walking on the water, getting in the boat. And that's kind of what leads up to verse 20. And that will be some necessary context as we get into the message today. Excuse me, verse 22 is where we'll start. It says this, The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one where into his disciples were entered, And that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum and seeking for him. Excuse me, seeking for Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which, excuse me, for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And then we're going to skip down to verse 60 and read verses 60 through verse 69. After a dialogue back and forth with some of these Jews, he says this, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, that Christ, the Son of the living God. And that will conclude our reading this morning and apologize for some of the misreading today. Um, we're going to take some thoughts this morning from both of these scriptures and from this narrative in general. Uh, the title of our message this morning is a long one. It is Church Hunting When Young People Leave a Sound Church. Church Hunting When Young People Leave a Sound Church. 
Um, before we get into our scripture reading today, there are two, maybe three things I'd like to begin with this morning, if, if I continue to feel led that direction. Um, one of those things is one of the things I'm curious about when I get to heaven is the things on earth, how do I want to say this? How I discerned on earth what was important versus what will be important once I get to heaven. So down here, there are certain things that we think a lot about, we prepare a lot for, and we seek counsel about, and we stress over, and we have anxiety over, and we really give a lot of attention to. And some of those things, when we get to heaven, we're going to realize real quick, man, that was a waste. That, wasn't, that was just trivial. It wasn't important at all. And then some things which we considered trivial were actually some of the most important decisions we could ever make in life. And we just kind of whimsically made a decision without seeking counsel or guidance from both people or from the Spirit of God, from wisdom, from His Word. And I'm sure there are some things that I have mistaken, unfortunately, that I have counted unimportant, which are very important, and certain things which I have valued and esteemed way too highly. I believe today in our culture, especially within the Christian culture, one of those things is church. I'm not talking about religion, and I'm not talking about the concept of going to church as a... um, just as a general concept, I'm meaning specifically where we decide to go worship God. It's my opinion that, and more importantly, it's it's the Lord's opinion that where we go to church is important. It's not something that ought to be esteemed lightly, and truth be told, it will end up being one of the most important decisions we make in our entire life, where we go to church. Because the implications of where we go to church ought to, if we're dedicated sufficiently to the Lord, the effects of that will impact every area of our life. And it will no doubt have an impact on future generations. And so this morning as we look here to the word of God and we glean some principles that are being instructed here in the book of John, I want to put before you, or before I I get to the actual content of the message, I want to elevate the importance of what we're talking about today. Going to the right place where God wants us is one of the most consequential decisions you can make in your entire life. And I think today one of the troubling things about the younger generation is that the concept of God's church as directed in the scriptures and instructed in the scriptures have become demeaned and diminished in its role and importance that it ought to play in our lives. The Lord's church is of great significance. And he tells us all throughout the New Testament and all throughout the Old Testament, he prophesies about its coming and he gives it this preeminent place in the Bible and we ought to give it a... a, a, Serious consideration as we look to these things. This morning, I think it's going to be of great consequence. Another thing I want to tell you about is an experience that I had. 
really two experiences that I had. One was last Sunday. So last Sunday, as many of you know, I had to go down to the um, old-fashioned gospel hour taping in Hartsville and went down there and I preached and I was on my way back and uh, to our evening service. I stopped at a gas station and I won't tell you the whole story, but when I stopped at this gas station, I kind of sat in my car for a minute, just kind of taking a deep breath and gaining my bearings for a moment. And uh, went in, I used the restroom, came out of the gas station, and before I could get in my car, this couple waved me down and said, uh, excuse me, sir, I feel led of the Spirit to ask you a question. Definitely got my attention. So I went over to them, and uh, this man and a woman were in anguish about where to go to church. They said, I just felt like, in in so many words, I felt the Spirit of the Lord compelling me to ask you that you could help me. And so I sat and I listened to them for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes and then began to talk with them. And ironically, about an hour earlier, I'd been called to a revival in December at a church 10 minutes from that location. I didn't think that was coincidence whatsoever, and I shared that with them. Um, the woman in particular was in great anguish. And she was talking about the two different churches that she, had, she was attending. She had not missed church but three times in 35 years. But she's feeling this just, just distress about where she ought to go and where she should worship. And that really affected me, just how much an anguish that she was. And that they said as they were, saw me sit there for a minute, uh, the husband in particular just said, I just felt the Lord telling me you could help us. Um, and I thought, man, they, they, they take it that serious. Where they go to worship is that serious to them. Um, I don't know that I was able to help. They may come to Old Union. They had talked about possibly coming here to Old Union for some. They live a little ways from here or also to go to this revival. I say that to emphasize how important it is. Where you go to church. They were so distressed about it, they asked a complete stranger at the bidding of the Holy Spirit. I do think it was at that. The last story I want to tell you is about my own experience um, when I almost left Missionary Baptist churches, which may seem like a strange thing to say, uh, but there was a period of time, and I'm, as I think you know me by now, I tend to be rather transparent and not to be offensive whatsoever, but I feel like telling the truth is often helpful because usually you've had similar experiences and I think sometimes we're hesitant to share those. I've been preaching for maybe five or six years and my maybe a little bit, probably closer to 10 years, and my experience had been traveling around all these missionary Baptist churches and uh, I became very disillusioned. If you know what disillusioned means, it means when you expect, when your expectations are not met. When you have this perception of something that's true or right, and then you get a clear picture of something and you recognize that's not what I thought it was. The way that impacts you, for me, it was I became disillusioned about it. What do I do? And what I'm meaning specifically was, as a young minister and as a younger person, I um, had been instructed that the church denomination that I'm worshiping in is the true church of Jesus Christ, that we teach the truth, and that essentially ought to be devoted to it no matter what. And then as you get older, just as it is with, from going from a teenage to a young adult, 
the people that you look to, your superheroes, they begin to disappoint you. And the first time you recognize that your parents aren't perfect and they don't have it all together, it can be a very discouraging thing because you recognize their opinion is not infallible. Their motives are not always pure. And it can be super hard on a young person. And oftentimes young people will separate from their their previous mentors when they begin to realize that. And I went through that. I went through this period where church, I began to be disillusioned by missionary Baptist churches. Because what I recognized is, although on one hand there is an element of truth that is absent in other churches, there are other secondary issues of great importance that we're lacking. So, I want to give a disclaimer to the message this morning in relation to that. This message is in no way a defense, an ultimate defense of missionary Baptist churches in our denomination. We are fallible. We make mistakes. We do things wrong. There are things about us that need to be changed. And if you don't believe that, you've probably not been here very often. Right? I mean, we all know that. There's a reality to that. On the other hand, I'm not going to sit here and bash other denominations. I don't think there's a lot of expedience to that. To just get up and talk about all the bad things about all these different groups of people. I think if we're serious about it and we want to understand why we don't practice Methodism or being a Church of Christ church or a non-denominational church, that takes a little bit more serious consideration than somebody just getting up and railing on those. But I will say this, I remain where I'm at for a reason. After much prayer, after probably too much thought, after a lot of counsel, I do feel comfortable and confident at being and worshiping within the group of people that I do. Not just Old Union Church, but our denomination at large for all the warts and blemishes that exist. And I think something here, this is a template. And so what I'm speaking to this morning in particular, though it could be all age groups, is that I think many young people within missionary Baptist churches have become disillusioned at the wrongs, at the imperfections, and at the blemishes that missionary Baptist churches have, and perhaps to some degree with good reason. But before we out of emotion... Before we rather carelessly run to people who will tell us what we want to hear, let's give a little more serious consideration, more prayerful and scriptural consideration to, yes, the flaws which may exist, but also what is absolutely essential within a church and what we perhaps might be overlooking when we consider going somewhere else. Because I think it has, it requires some due consideration. And I think what's going on here in the Gospel of John is a perfect symbol or a pattern as to what happens modern day. And so we're going to step away specifically from speaking about Christ and what is exactly going on here, but recognize that the pattern that he lays out here is the same pattern that happens today. What do we mean? Well... 
The first thing that we find is that Jesus had performed this wonderful miracle and some good things had taken place. 5,000 people had miraculously got fed and because of that, these people had been out there listening to Christ and now their, their bellies are full and they're satisfied. They obviously enjoy the group of people that they're with. There is a sense to which this setting, there as they're getting fed, is a suitable place to be. And then Jesus leaves. And so what do they do? Well, they begin to hunt for him. And after they hunt for him for a little while, they stumble upon him. And they come to him and they say, well, how did you get over here? They look at the situation and they recognize, you know, he didn't leave with the disciples. There was no boat that he could get to this other side. We've been scrambling all over the place for him. How did he get to the other side of the sea? And so they come to Jesus when they find him. And I perceive by the way that they address him that they're walking up to him and they're wanting to, to engage him. They're saying, where have you been? How did you get over here? And Jesus Knowing their hearts gets to the core of their motives. And that's part of what I want to talk about this morning. And he tells them this in verse 26. You didn't seek me because of the miracles I performed and that indicating who I was, that I was the Messiah. But you sought me because your bellies were filled. So think about this. These people left their professions at least temporarily, less their jobs. They go out here to this hillside. They're listening to Jesus. They get hungry. Jesus sees their need, and he says, well, I'll just miraculously, by the, the power of the Spirit, feed them. So that's what he does. They like that. We don't have to work. We can come out here and get fed. This is going to be really nice that we have now this man who can do these things. And then when he disappears, they don't go back to work. What do they do? They say, hey, let's go find this man so he can keep doing this. That we can kind of shortcut some things. So that's what they do. And Jesus confronts them with their motives and says, you're seeking me. And everybody else, you may be seeking me for the right reasons. But listen, I know your hearts and you're not seeking me for the right reasons. He says in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. This morning, I want you to know that if you're out church hunting, your motive better be right. Your motive better be right. This week, I was able to get online and I began to look at, at different church websites, just out of curiosity. I don't ever do that. I just began very curious as to, you know, What's the draw? Why do people go to a particular church? And it became very intriguing to me because what I noticed is I was browsing a half dozen to a dozen church websites just within our local area is that they were very good at marketing. That when I really boiled down to what the website was designed about, it was all about look at all the things we can do for you. And so it listed all of these activities that they have for children and all these uh, ways that they're going to feel welcome and all of these different uh, ways that they have adapted services and adapted things to the likings of different groups of people. So if you want coffee in the morning and you want a very uh, 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 informal gathering where you can sit and you can watch a screen where the preacher's preaching and you can dialogue, we have a group for you for that. And if you have a, another group that's typically an older group that likes to have a, 
a service where you have traditional things, where the preacher is older, then we have designed out a, a, something for that. And if you want to be a part of a men's group that goes out golfing, we have a golf ministry if that's what you would like. And there were all of these different facets to all of these different people. But when you really boiled it down to it, it had nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with Christ. It had become the Walmart of religion. Right? Isn't it amazing all the things you can do at Walmart? Get your hair done, your nails done, your tires changed, electronics. You can get groceries. You can get clothes. You can do almost anything. You can get your taxes done now. All of these different things. And as I was looking at these things and considering, you know what the first thing was? is that, Man, this is appealing. This is really appealing. Because there's so many different things for so many different groups. And it becomes this selfish motive and it feeds the selfish desires. What is fulfilling for me? Listen, friends, today I want you to know that the message that Christ left for his church and why we ought to be a part of it is completely antithetical, the opposite to what this marketing scheme is for churches today. What Jesus teaches us is this. If you want to come and be one of my disciples, you must forsake all, come and die and follow me. It is absolutely not about you and me. It's about serving the Lord and the way he commands us to. Unfortunately today, young person, it's crafty. You know, here's one of the ways that it crouches itself. It's in how you can serve. What ministry do you want to serve as a part of? Now, listen, I'm not condemning some of these things. Some of these things we ought to be doing. We ought to be feeding the poor. We ought to be taking care of the widows. We ought to be reaching out to people in prison. We ought to be helping addicts. We ought to be cross-cultural. We ought to be multi-ethnic. All of those things are good things, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. And so I don't want to demand, or I don't want to demean the actual activities, but what I do want to demean is if the motive for hosting such activities is so that you can feel fulfilled and purpose and that you can find, feel like you find your place exactly where you're supposed to be. That's the wrong motive for a church to start a ministry. Here are these people. Everything about the appearance of what they were doing looked right to the eye. But to the eye of God who saw the heart, they had selfish motives. You know that what the heart of a person ought to be who's church hunting, you know what it ought to be? Lord, send to me somewhere where the truth is taught and where you want me to be. I knew of a person one time who was a young, young person, and I would commend this person highly for this. They had been saved for a short period of time, and God started burning them to join this church. You know, that church was a bunch of old people. There was maybe 12 or 15 in attendance. And this person's heart just, this is where you need to go. 
The Lord was showing, this is the place where you need to go. Now, there were all these other options where churches were sound churches. One church in particular had a a ton of young people, and they had friends that were at that church. And from all practical purposes, nobody would have blamed that person. And you could have given a thousand arguments why this place was the best for them to be. And yet what God was revealing to this young person's heart is, "Those, those are not the places I ought to be. I ought to be at this place that is so much less appealing to the natural eye than what could be described. And so what that person did was they followed the leadership of the Lord. They jumped into that young, that, that older, uh, that older congregation and they became a part of it. What that young person didn't know was what God knew. And that is that God was going to use those older people, that God was going to use that pastor to reach that person's parents. You see that person's parent probably would have driven 30 minutes to go to church where this other church was at. That person's parent probably would not have been as, probably would have been put off by the way that that church worshiped 30 minutes away. But in this little intimate setting with a bunch of older people with the same similar personalities, God knew, I'm going to send you here so that you can bring your mother in and your mother will find God and get saved. See, God knew that. That young person didn't. See, that's why it's one of the reasons why it's so important that we follow the Spirit of God is that we don't know what God is trying to do by placing us as members particular in a body. So often today, the capitalistic notion has so affected the minds of people that we look for what best suits our wants and our desires. But listen, when we venture into the spiritual realm, the reality is our desires and wants matter nothing. What matters is that God, our King, directs and guides every part of our lives, particularly where we decide to go to church. And if the church we are going to seems dead, if the church we're going to does not have all the ministries that would be appealing to the flesh, that they're not full of young people, that perhaps there are things that need to be changed, we ought to obey God and readily come to God and say, God, I know that you've sent me here. Here I am. Send me whatever changes need to be made. Help me to be a part of that change in the right way as directed by your spirit. We don't need to adopt the way the world does things just because it's more enjoyable. Here, Jesus got to the motives of these people. They were following Christ for the wrong reason. Don't do that. Here, it continues, and we read in the text that we read, Jesus gets in this discussion with these people and he tells them the hardness of the message. He says, unless I'm your food and drink, unless I'm everything, you can't be my disciple. And the Bible says this. This was a hard saying. You know, this is my personal opinion, not because I'm part of this generation, but I think uh, it's easy to blame millennials for all their flaws. You know, there's a lot of things about millennials that are not very good. I think they lack some toughness. I think they last some devotion. There's a whole lot of things that are not good, and it's easy to just talk about all the bad. And I, I guess every generation does that, right? Every generation looks at the generation afterward and says, look at all their flaws. They're not like us. And I guess that's just part of it. But one, one neg- I think there are some positives. Maybe, God willing, someday we'll talk about some of those positives that I think could really be used among the millennial generation that was perhaps lacking in previous generations but one thing I will say is, is lacking is that you often hear the statistic that a, a person my age changes jobs 15 or 20 times in their lifetime, that, 
they're short-sighted. They don't, they're not devoted somewhere. And I would say this, that very often the reason why that's the case is because things get hard. And they were raised in a sense if something gets hard, you can just deviate to something else. Or if somebody's better than you, then you just go find something that you're better than them and focus your attention there. And listen, young person, I want you to know that when you join a true church and God is trying to work within that congregation and the truth is going out or the prospects of good being done happens, there will be problems that arise in a church and there will be hardships which you will be required to endure as a part of the body. One thing that amazes me is the few times in my life where I have seen a church really catch fire and really begin to do good, Satan is right there and I can sense all of the different things going on are meant to sabotage the intended good that these people have. And very often, just as is the precedent in all of scripture, when God is working, Satan is there to oppose it with all of his might. But as long as the church is comfortable in its lukewarm position, he recognizes, listen, they'll get in their way and they'll become so unproductive, I don't have to do a thing. Recognize, young person, when God is working in a church, there's going to be some hardship what's going to transpire. There are some things that are going to happen you're not going to like. You know the amazing thing about this church? It has a bunch of sinners in it. So guess what? Sometimes sin dominates some of our activities. You know, we're not perfect. And sometimes churches become too political. And sometimes churches kowtow to certain members. And sometimes ministers manipulate things. There's all sorts of things that can happen in a church. And it is imperfect. And I'm not saying just accept it and move on. What I'm saying is there is a degree to which you've got to expect that these things are not just of the flesh, but they're spiritual forces working against us. So what do you do? Well, since this is the story, this is the sermon of stories, I'll tell you another story. I became very disillusioned. I had just resigned the church that I had been at. I had been two years without pastoring a church. I had traveled to all these different churches, and I became very disillusioned. I called different elders for advice. And I was very dissatisfied with their answers, if I'm being quite frank. So I did the only thing I need to do. I began to seek the Lord about it. Because here's what I recognized. I've seen whole groups of young people exactly where I was at. They get frustrated. They try something at their church, and people resist them. And they try something else. It's a good thing, and people resist them. So finally, they just say, you know what? I'm done. I'm going somewhere else. And I always saw that, and I thought, you know, it just... It didn't settle right with me. That's not the way to do things. I saw other young people come into the church. They try to be a catalyst for change in the right way. And they still meet resistance. Then that resistance beats them down to the point where they say, you know what, I'm going to stay here, but I'm only going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to emotionally and spiritually detach from this place. I'm going to come to satisfy whatever family members, to satisfy people, to satisfy my conscience but I'm not going to be engaged. I'm not going to fight the good fight. I'm not going to try to further the cause. I'm not going to. That also seemed like the wrong decision to me. So I thought, Lord, what do I do? You know, what do you do when you really care about a cause? And it seems as though many other people either don't care or are jumping ship. 
and they're leaving. And so I sought the Lord. Now, I'm not going to tell you the full story. I'd tell you in private, but there was some irony that was involved in it all. Because one night I was down in my office, and I was really calling out to God late one night. And I was distraught, and I was saying, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I I respond? I'll follow you wherever you lead me, regardless of the cost. And here's what the Lord clearly told me. He said, I want you to preach exactly what I give you as unusual of a missionary Baptist sermons as it might seem like it is. Particularly, things about today. Things going on in the world today. Because up to that point, you know what a lot of my preaching was is what I've seen my whole life. And that is, no, there's nothing wrong with it because we're all called to do different things. But it's getting up and preaching a message and then quoting 40 scriptures throughout and linking it to stories in the Bible. And, and that's, there's nothing wrong with it. That's a good thing. But as a young person, that left some of my heart lacking. And I would think, you know what? That's not the world I'm living in today. You know, there, there's things that are going on and it's, there, you know, the, the Hindu temple down the road that lights up now every Friday and Saturday. Who's talking about that? What about the people on the college campus that I attend? They're not talking about whether baptism is essential for salvation or not. They don't care. They're talking about whether God exists or not. All of these things God began to put in my heart. And he told me that night, he said, you get up and you preach what I give you And here was the second notable part he said. And love people while you're doing it. Don't tell people off. Don't get up and vent. Don't get upset when older people are afraid of what you're saying. And think you're going modern. Don't be afraid of those things. Love people. Really love them behind the pulpit. Really esteem them as knowing more than what you know. But preach what I give you. Now, here was the irony, and I won't tell you where, but the next day I got a phone call from a church that I perceived at the time probably would not be very receptive to a message like that. <laughs> or in other words, they were a little backwoodsy. And I thought, Lord, here we go. I guess if I'm going to walk by faith, I've got to do it. Two, three weeks later, I showed up at that church, and I preached the message. And, you know, I... I was so nervous, going more nervous than I, I ever am, going to a church to preach usually. And I got up, and the Lord helped me to just lay my heart out there, exactly what he put on my heart. And I sat down, and to be honest, I was afraid to shake people's hands after service. I was just thinking, yeah, I don't know what these people are thinking. And the Lord gave me a confirmation that I needed. One by one, these young couples would come up to me, and they'd shake my hand, and they'd say, Thank you so much for what you just said. I can't tell you how God used it to speak to my heart. And there were three or four people that came up to me after the service. And I know beyond any doubt that that was God telling me, just follow me. Just follow me. This morning, why am I telling you I'm very anecdotal this morning and I apologize for that. I feel the need to be today. These people walked away because it was a hard saying. It would require sacrifice. It would require a battle. Here's what I like to tell young people 
that go church hunting because they're dissatisfied with sound churches. Why don't you be part of the solution? I think everybody here can admit there are things that need to change about Old Union Church, don't you think? I mean, something? I'm not saying we need to throw out the doctor. I'm not saying any of that. But don't you think there are some ways that we can reach the community better than what we have been? Like, we all agree with that. And yet, as we talked about a few weeks ago, there's no sense in us just going creating things just to create things. Just go do things just to do things to ease our conscience. No, what we need is for people to get a hold of God and for God to speak to our hearts and say, this is what I want you to do and here's how I want you to go reach these people. That's what we desperately need. And I'll say this, when a young person sees a church truly seeking God's will and truly sees them attempting with their heart to reach the community, a young person that is worth their salt, that has really got the right intentions in their minds will gravitate towards churches who do that. People will gravitate, the right people will gravitate towards groups of people who have their eyes and affection set above saying this, we are not going to move, we are not going to go anywhere until God tells us to. But the minute you tell us to, Lord, we are willing to go as you give us the strength to. Young person, why don't you do this? Why don't you engage in the church? Why don't you make your life about here? and prospering the spiritual benefits to your brothers and sisters? Why don't you ask God diligently to say, Lord, how can I serve this people? And if things need to be changed, how can I in the right way be a part of that good change? Or here's what you can do. You can go church hunting. And you can pick up one of these churches that will satisfy every little jot and tittle. And that gets to our very last part of the scripture this morning. These people went away. And when looking for somebody else and something else that wasn't so hard to accept. And Jesus looked at his disciples and says, will you also go away? And Peter gives this profound answer. He says this. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And here's what I want to ask you when you go to these, these other churches. And I've, I've for years looked diligently, giving the benefit of the doubt to all these different places that are all these different denominations and non-denominations. I'm the type of person, I give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I've just not been there. Maybe they really do preach salvation true. Maybe they really do advocate people seek the Lord. All over these years, you know I've been? I've been very dissatisfied. I've been very disheartened because what I've learned is the stigma that a lot of these churches are deceiving people is absolutely correct. Don't take my word for it. Go look yourself. Because when it really gets to brass knuckles, when it really gets to where the rubber meets the road, when you really learn in practice, here's the reality. They may have all these fulfilling ministries. They might feed the poor by the droves. They might go on all these cool mission trips that young people can be a part of. They might have trunk or treats here the previous night. Your kids may love going there. A website. Understanding what we have shared, would you like to receive the forgiveness by trusting God as your personal Savior? This is accomplished through prayer. If the following prayer expresses the desire of your heart, pray it to God. Quote, Dear God, I know I am a sinner. I want to be forgiven. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me and come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. Amen. 
If you have prayed this prayer in a minute, welcome to the family of God. You've made the most important decision of your life. You can be sure that you are saved and you have eternal life. You know, for all the good that somebody that an organization can do, that ruins it all. Every ounce of it. This church that I'm reading this from has about 700 members here locally that attend every Sunday. And you know what? From the outside, they're prospering a lot more than we are. And perhaps from work standpoint, they're doing a lot more good than what we are. And maybe we could mimic some of those things at the leadership of the Lord and, and do some good. But here's the question that I ask you that are church hunting. When you leave a sound church and you find somewhere else, what about that? So here's the response you'll often hear people say. I've never seen them deceive anybody. You know, Satan's crafty. You realize that? Like once we start condemning this, then he just gets more crafty. And that's what he's done with a lot of churches. Is now they don't have these services like a Billy Graham crusade where they come forward and they say, repeat these words and say these things. And they're not explicit as this right here. And so they come and now what do they do? They go into a back room. And they have people pray. And they, they reassure them of certain things and they have them write their name. They're, Satan adapts the method to become more deceptive. And so a person can genuinely say, and I've heard many kids who grew up in sound churches that became disillusioned go to one of these churches and they say, you know what? I've never seen them deceive a soul. And the question that I always ask back is this. Have you ever seen them lead anybody right? Have you ever seen an altar service where somebody was down calling out on God and all a group of people, as we've seen in our last three revivals, are gathered around them and the church is beseeching God that he might visit them in great power and great emphasis and that it would reach that person's heart. Have you ever seen somebody kneel down, bellied out, calling to God and get up and say, I feel peace within. God just did something for me. Have you ever seen that? Or have you trusted the ambiguity? Ambiguity meaning, you know, I don't know if they deceive people or not. Listen, there are some things I can leave ambiguous, you know. There are some things I don't have to have all the answers to. If I came to this church, and I, there was a lot of questions I didn't ask about this church, whether you practice closed communion or close communion, I can leave that to ambiguity. You know, when I get here, if I figure it out, doesn't really, I have a preference, but it doesn't really matter that much to me between closed and closed. But you know, when it comes to salvation and where I'm going to go to church, I can't leave that to, well, I hope they do it right. One of the, one of the things that I'll say without any hesitation that most missionary Baptist churches have gotten right is they know how to point people to eternal life. You can diminish that all you want. You can talk about the flaws and the faults all that you want. And I might even shake my head in agreement with you. But listen, all those flaws, if you add them up on one side and you put the truth about salvation on the other, I would rather have that than the error in salvation and all the works that man can perform right on the other side. It doesn't have to be an either or, and I'm not saying that. But here's what I'm saying. Before you go church hunting and leave a sound church, you better make sure, you better make sure 
that the truth is really being taught in regards to eternal life. I'm afraid this church, many churches among us, have lost droves of young people and perhaps are still at risk of losing droves of them because they have, Satan has helped them to devalue eternal life. Now, I say that, and again, I, I feel the need to make a disclaimer here and then I'm done. We've got to begin to reach people in the 21st century. We've got to. The people need it. Not because our church numbers need it. You know, you know me to be honest with you? I really don't care how many people come here. Really. Other than if more people in here means more people hearing the truth, being discipled, and being where God wants them to be. But listen, friends, and I... I guess I've, I've hit on it as much as I know how. And as the Lord leads me, I'll continue to. We've got to reach people today. We cannot fall back. Listen, I, I grew up in a church, and again, I, I'm careful in saying this. I hope you understand the spirit of this. We preached eternal life way too much. All it was was salvation. That's it. There was no growth. There was no discipleship. There was no learning how to be equipped to face this world around us. And because of that, our young people left. There's got to be discipleship too. Jesus in the Great Commission told us that, didn't he? That's what we're to do. Go preach the truth. When people get saved, baptize them and then do what? Disciple them. Teach them all things whatsoever God commands us. So I hope you can sense the balance this morning that I'm trying to say. On one hand, listen, young person, don't leave and go find somewhere by undervaluing eternal life. But at the same time, church, let's not fall back on the sake that we have taught eternal life correctly to where we don't do what God wants the church to do, and that is go reach people. Because we've got to do that. This morning, I pray that God would use the message here. Jesus puts it to Peter, and he says, you also go away. Young person, you're maybe not there yet, but you will be, where you'll recognize, listen, there's a lot of, you know, when I was looking at those church websites, I thought, well, that's cool. On a lot of the parts of their website, that's really neat. And you'll have a decision to make someday. And I pray as you're making that decision that you would prayerfully consider, do they teach right about eternal life? If not, all the joy you can experience in this life, and maybe you'll be saved. But what about your children and grandchildren? What about the next 10 generations of your family? Maybe they won't be able to discern quite like you can what's wrong and what's right at that church. I pray that God would give you wisdom, and I hope that His Spirit would burden you. It's amazing to me today how the last person ever consulted is the Lord. Ought He not to be our first Ought we not to say, God, I don't know what to do. I am looking to you and you alone. That's our message this morning. I pray that God would use it in the way that he sees fit. Somebody have something on their heart this morning, a word or a testimony today.